we're going to be continuing our study in Luke. This week, though, this weekend, we're going to be talking about the Good Samaritan. How many of you have heard of, you know, that, that parable before, the Good Samaritan? All right. But there's some pretty interesting things God's going to show us in that. Uh, so, Lord, we just ask that you bless us this time. Let your words come out. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25, the Good Samaritan. And it starts off like this. All right, verse 25 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Say, test Jesus. All right, now, good. Gravy day. Did he just run into the wall? Father God. It's not a quiz. It's not a quiz. I said test, and he ran. <laughs> Hey, nobody else run. It, it'll be all right. All right. So he got up to test Jesus. Say, test Jesus. Say it again. Test Jesus. All right. I want to make sure you all are with me. All right. And he says to him, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right. Now, this is the question of the ages. Everybody from the time of Jesus all the way to now, all, everybody wants to know, how do I get to heaven? What do I got to do to get to heaven? Usually we ask it from the perspective of what, what's the least amount I got to do to get to heaven. But we want to know what do we got to do to get to heaven. And so this guy who was an expert in the law got up to test Jesus and asked him this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives them this just amazing answer. He asked them, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Basically saying to him, so how do you interpret the law since you're an expert in the law. All right, and, and what I love about this response is Jesus was never rattled by people. You know, when he was confronted by situations or people who were really trying to get at him, it, it never freaked him out. You know, most of us, if we're confronted by somebody, we take a defensive posture. I mean, usually, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, take a step back and we, we may react to their situation or respond negatively because we're trying to protect ourselves, right? But Jesus never did that. Jesus looked at confrontation as an opportunity for education. See, and what he did was anytime he was confronted by a person, circumstance, or situation, he responded to it as either a lack of education, and therefore I must instruct you and teach you the most excellent way. And see, and that's something that we have to begin to adapt and put into practice in our lives. Because if there's a circumstance of somebody who's confronting you, that must mean either they may not have clear or there may not be clarity. Even in a situation, we should be able to walk away from situations, you know, better educated, not running back into the same problem again. And so every situation and circumstance of confrontation is an opportunity for education. And Jesus took this opportunity to educate this man. And so this is what he says to him. He answered them, the expert answered back, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when you look back in Deuteronomy where this expert in the law was quoting this from, actually, there's a whole list of things that's, that's instructed. But he summarized it into these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus said something to him very interesting. He didn't respond back with, well, you need to believe in me. Trust in me. He didn't, he didn't give him any other response. He looked at him and said, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, that kind of threw me off for a few days when, as I meditated this. Because typically, we would have said, trust in Jesus, right? 
Yeah, our normal response would have been, you need to trust in God. You need to believe in Jesus. If somebody came up to us and said, what do I have to do for eternal life? And, and you know, you ask them, well, what do you think? And they tell you, well, love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we wouldn't say, you know, perfect, just do that. We would say, well, no, you need to go to church. You need to read your Bible. You need to be in worship. You need to be, you, we would give them the whole list of things. Jesus didn't do that. He tells them, you answer correctly. Do that, and you'll live. Well, here, here comes the big problem, because the expert in the law wanted to justify himself. Now, to justify himself or justify yourself means to take a defensive posture and to pretty much say, I'm doing all that. So therefore, because I'm doing all of that and, and, and that's everything that I'm doing, then I don't need you. And see, many of us right now in this room will say, we'll never say that. I mean, we would never admit, Lord, we don't need you. We would never say that. But sometimes our actions say otherwise. See, many times our actions will say something different than that. Many times the Lord will speak something to us. And how many of us have looked the other way? Be honest, you're in church, it counts twice. Yeah. Or there's times when I've cried out to God. And I said, Lord, I'm praying. Lord, I'm teaching. Lord, I'm preaching. Lord, I'm ministering. Lord, I'm a child of God. Therefore, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. So you need to be answering me. And many times God will say, yeah, but uh, where's your heart at in this? And that's when I got to take a step back. See, the heart of the matter was this. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to say to him, listen, I'm doing everything that's supposed to be done. And if I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing, then everybody, all these teachings you out here doing, you out here feeding 5,000, you out here doing all this stuff, it's for nothing because we don't need you. And so trying to justify his actions, he tells him, he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? I'm doing everything, but you tell me, who's my neighbor? Now, this second question, Jesus didn't all of a sudden go, uh-oh, he asked me something. I don't know about that one. Jesus took it as an opportunity. Okay, so let's talk about this. And he does it in a way that's so amazing. He says, let me tell you a story. And the story is this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity. Now, let's not forget what our question is, because the, the, the question of the ages is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so the answer to that question is in this parable. You understand? The answer to the, to the question we've all had, what must I do to get to heaven? How do I have eternal life? How do I have the kingdom of God in my life? Is hidden in this, in this parable. And Jesus begins to tell him this story. And the story he tells him is a priest and a Levi and a Samaritan are all walking down the street. Each one comes across a man who had been robbed, beaten, and left 
for dead. And each one of them has a reason to not help the man. All three of them have a reason to not even touch that man. Let's look at these. Now, the priest and the Levite both were separated unto the God. The priest was considered holy unto the Lord, but the Levite was separated from Israel as that tribe dedicated to God. They were the religious leaders of that time, and both of them had specific guidelines for how they lived their lives. And one of those guidelines was if they ever cried, came across somebody who was sick, who was ill, or, or who was dying, they could not even go around them. They couldn't go near them because that person was considered unclean. And if they were to come into that environment, they too would now be unclean. And so because they had those rituals in their life, and those were the traditions that they had to follow. So if when they saw that man on the road, they were not even going to go near him because for them, they would have to put down who they are. They would have to take off their priestly robes. They would have to take everything that was themselves away in order to help that man. So instead of going to help them, they went as far away from them as possible. Now, let's look at the, the, the Samaritan, because the Samaritan is very interesting. Now, there was a time and period where, you know, there were 12 tribes in Israel. There was a time when they were separated. Ten of them were in the north. Two of them were down in the south. Judah and Benjamin were in the south because they were split. And immediately the division began to take place because the northern Israelites lived in Samaria, and they made Samaria their capital. And the thing that made things become even worse was in that capital, they said, we no longer have to come down to Jerusalem to worship. So they set up idols in Dan and Bethel. Later, when Israel fell to the Assyrians, they begin to intermarry with the Assyrians, which according to Jewish culture that time was an absolute no-no. Absolute no-no-no. You, you, you don't do that. And so because they began to do that, they created this, this different race of mixed Jews called Samaritans. And to all the Jews, the Samaritans were considered dogs or half-breeds. They were the ones that they said, the Messiah is not for you. Because you violated the law. You are unclean. You are not right. You are, there, there's nothing, you are nothing but filth. And they were vocal about it. And it made me understand why Jesus used them in several parables. Remember the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan. The, tw the ten lepers that he healed, one of them was a Samaritan. And so we look at this parable, and we see what the word says, and the word says this. The priest happened to be going by. He goes on the other side. The Levite goes by. He passes by on the other side. But the Samaritan who traveled came where the man was and saw him and took pity on him. Why did the Samaritan take pity on him? Why was he the only one out of the three who decided to go do something, who felt something? Because the Samaritan was the only one who identified with the man's pain. He's the one who knows what it feels like to be an outcast. He's already considered unclean. So he had nothing to lose. See, I know what it feels like to be looked down upon. I know what it feels like to grow up in a neighborhood where everything is fighting against you. I know what it feels like for people to look at you and say, you won't amount to nothing. 
I, I know what it feels like to walk through neighborhoods and people go on the other side because they're scared of who you are, your skin color. I know what it's like to go to schools where you're sectioned out because of who you are and where you came from. I know what it feels like to fight as hard as you can to raise your children in an area so they will never have to deal with the things you dealt with. I know what all that feels like. So when I come across young men who are struggling, I have pity. When I come across young women who are struggling, I have pity because I know what it feels like to be going through those circumstances. There is nothing in me that can look down on anybody. See, and all that can be summed up into this one word, gratitude. Gratitude. I'm so grateful so grateful for what God has done in my life. I can't take any ownership of who I am or what I've done. And I was in the bathroom and Ben asked me this question. It was a great question. He said, so how did, how did you become a worship pastor or a pastor? And the only thing I could say to him was, it was God. I committed my ways to him. I'm here as Pastor Tommy, not because I did anything. It's God. The reason I'm married today is God. The reason I have a family today is God. I, there's no, you don't want to know Tommy Stevenson. Promise, I promise you, you don't want to know him. Y'all know Pastor Tommy. I like Pastor Tommy. Every now and again, Tommy tries to jump up. I got to deal with Tommy. Because Tommy is not grateful. Tommy wants to be in control. Tommy says, I can do it without you, Lord. Tommy says, I know how to make this thing happen. Tommy says, I know how to run my own life. Tommy says, look, I don't care about anybody else. I'm going to do it for me. Take care of me. It's all about me. Tommy says, I don't need God. Pastor Tommy says, I can't live without him. I can't live without him. Gratitude. Gratitude, it's the quality of being thankful, the readiness to show appreciation for, and to return kindness. This scripture in Deuteronomy, I love it. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Look, I know some of y'all are 16, 17, 18 years old, 19 years old in this room. And, and, and from where you're at, you may be looking and going, I don't, maybe I don't, I don't understand some of that. Look, God has done good things for you now. There are things in your life that God has brought you through that you, can, you know it was God. You know there are certain situations and circumstances that you know it was God. And if you only got a couple, listen, I know many of your parents, talk to your parents. They'll tell you it was God. Your parents will tell you the stories of faith in their life. Just ask them. You know, just tell me what God has done for you. And you'll see the tears running down their eyes. Because God has done so many things, and they're grateful. You know, gratitude to make you do things you never thought you would do. Look what this man did. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Now, he don't even know him. The other thing is this man possibly was a Jew. The man probably hated him. But he felt pity anyway. He goes to him, 
bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for your ex any extra expense you may have. Gratitude. 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 Hmm. Jesus says to him, now which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? Who was a neighbor to the man? Now that word too just you know highlighted it because it was very interesting. Because Jesus didn't say, which of these three men do you think this man would say was his neighbor? Which of these three men do you think, out of these three, would this man's would be this man's neighbor? He said, No, which of these three? was a neighbor to the man. See, the whole key to eternal life in the kingdom of God is you decide. You choose to be a neighbor. Even when people don't deserve it. You choose who you're going to be. Y'all know the scripture says, choose ye this day who you will serve. You choose. You make a choice to show gratitude. He asked them, which of the three? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And here it is. Jesus tells him, if you want to know how to you get eternal life, he tells him, go and do likewise. See, we're all trying to figure it out. What do I have to do? And the reason we're asking that question is because we really want to know, do I need to just pray an hour a day? Do I need to read this scripture, that scripture? Do I need to be doing this and that? And Jesus said, no. Just let gratitude in your heart move you to express love to your neighbor, and everything else will be taken care of. That's the key to heaven. That's the key to heaven. You know, the rest of this chapter... Right after this, the disciples and Jesus go to Martha and Mary's house. And um, <clears throat> they get there, and Martha is tending to all, you know, all the, the administrative details, the dishes, the food, all that kind of stuff. Well, Mary goes and sits at the feet of Jesus. Martha gets upset, and she gets so upset, she complains to Jesus. Now, I, you know, I'll complain, but I'm not going to complain to Jesus. <laughs> she gets so upset, she complains to Jesus. And this is, she goes and tells him, look, I'm in here tending to all this stuff. Mary's sitting there doing nothing. And then she says, make her get up and help me. She's talking to Jesus. <laughs> make her get up and help me. And Jesus interrupts her and says, Martha, you're tending to all this other stuff, but she's picked the most precious thing. Why? Gratitude. She's so thankful that all the other stuff doesn't matter. All the little details don't matter. The only thing that matters is sitting at the feet of Jesus. If we take that same posture in our life, look, all the fundamentals, yeah, read your Bible, meditate on your word, you do that. Come to church every week, you do that. Participate in worship, you do that. But if you want to encompass all of that, just sit at the feet of Jesus. 
And if you focus on just that one thing, everything else will take care of itself. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to end this just in worship. You know, I have a lot to be grateful for. I shared this in the junior high. The last 24 hours in my home has probably been the most stressful 24 hours in a long, long, long time. But you wouldn't know it. Last night was a very intense situation, but you wouldn't know it. Because I woke up this morning, God, I praise your name. Lord, I am so thankful and grateful for who you are in my life. Lord, I lift you up. I praise your name. I glorify you because I am so grateful for who he is in my life. Gratitude will lift you up over your circumstances. They will, it will lift you up over your situation. Then you will hear from heaven, and then God will give you an answer. Why can I still preach today? I heard from God. Pia said before, and do we need to pray for you? Are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I heard from God. How can I do that? Gratitude. 